Youth ministry can always use some big ideas. Ideas that are faithful to relational ministry, but also provide some crazy, fun, and life-giving resources for youth leaders, youth in leadership, and the church. Now that's religion. This is the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Your source for information, discussion, and feedback in youth ministry of all shapes and sizes. Now, here are your hosts, Michelle Thomas-Bush and Cliff Haddocks. Welcome to the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast, a podcast resource for the church as we seek to be faithful with and for young people in all settings and sizes. I'm Cliff Haddix, also known as Revan Geek, and I'm here with Michelle Thomas-Bush. It's good to be together, Cliff. Always good to see you and be with you. Yes, yes. Good to be, good to be doing this. Good to be doing We're, this. We are excited to have with us today CNN parenting writer and member of the Today Show parenting team, Michelle Eichard. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Michelle, you you are a speaker, you're an author, you're an educator who helps kids, parents, and teachers navigate the complicated social world of early adolescence, and we're glad to have you here with us because, I mean, I got to own, I got two kids, and I will take all the help I can get, so, <laughs> so, so um, you have lots of books in this area, so it, it, help me understand all that you are offering. Sure. Well, to- Today, we'll focus on the 14 talks by age 14, which I love that because it's so clear and precise. Um, and I think, yeah, Cliff, you have a daughter. You need to read this. Yes, right yes. Now. She is She is just starting to uh, sound like a teenager. Um, you know, I, I, I overhear conversations where she's on the phone. Nothing that really terrifies me, but I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's teenager talk. That's not kid talk anymore. And I know the changes are coming, and they're coming fast. Yeah, so Michelle, give us a summary of this book. So 14 Talks by Age 14 is a book for parents of um, all kids and really all ages. I will say that I happen to be in love with the middle school age period. Um, I really like all of the changes that happen at that time, even though they can be um, anxiety producing and overwhelming and confusing for parents, just as they are for kids. Um, I also find them pretty exciting and um, and fascinating. So a lot of the examples in the book are middle school centric, but I will say that the strategies are ones that you can use no matter what age your kid is. I've had people tell me I'm using these strategies on my partner and it's <laughs> helping. We're having better conversations. But the, the purpose of the book is to help parents stay connected with their kids and keep having good conversations at an age when kids really want to stop talking and stop listening. That is so true. They do want to stop. They move to the stop talking and the eye rolling. Mm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a whole new form of communication mm-hmm. and, and it is a good thing that they feel that way, even though it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to us that it is, but they're beginning the process of becoming individuals. And if they don't start that early, they don't uh, have a launch pad seven years later to be able to leave your house. And that's the usually the end game I find with most parents. They're like, yes, I do want my kid to live somewhere else someday. Well, so it has to start young. You're giving us tools so we don't get hooked in that. And then um, one of the things I love in the book is that you tell us what not to say. And that's you really right. do uh, say that. Like, please do not say this. Yeah, for, yeah because for, um... this does not work. There are, I've been doing this work for almost 19 years, working with kids who are in early adolescence and their parents. And um, I'm fascinated with communication in general, particularly with this age group. So there are things that I call conversation crashers that will put a quick end 
to uh, your best intentions for communicating with your kids. So I like to tell parents, here are some things that you can say that'll bridge that gap when you're not sure how to introduce a topic or you're shocked by something your kid has done or said. And here are some things that are definitely going to uh, cause that door to slam. <laughs> yeah. And what, what's, what's one of the what's one of those big ones to avoid? What's a what's a what's a, especially if it's something that people say out of habit? What's one of the big conversation killers we should avoid? So there are quite a few, and, and everyone will know what theirs is when they, when they read the book and they find it. Um, I can tell you for me, one that I do, and I still catch myself doing, even having written the book. So I want anyone who's listening to know that you don't have to be perfect to make this work. You just have to be sort of aware, aware. enough. That, yeah, be aware. If it happens, you can pull back. But the thing that I do that I, um, that I advise people against is presuming how your kid is going to feel about something in the future. I think as parents, we often will say something like, Hey, I think you're going to regret that. Or I mm. think down the road, you're going to, you're not going to be happy if that's the decision that you make. And when you say that to a kid at a developmental stage, when they are pulling away from you, they know they need to start this process of becoming an individual and separating. And they hear that their first reaction is you don't know me. You don't know who I am or what I'm going to think or how I'm going to feel. Don't presume that about me. And then they dig their heels in a little bit. So I think it's important instead of presuming to ask, how do you think that'll make you feel down the road? What do you think in a week or a month or, you know, if you decide to quit the team, let's say, um, what do you think that's going to be? Let's, let's imagine what that's going to feel like for you a little while down the road and put the ball in their court instead of you just telling them how it's going to be. Again, that would be helpful for spouses, young yeah. children, friends. That's right. Yeah, friends even, right? No one wants to be told how they're going to feel. Yes. We often think we know how everybody else is going to feel. Hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, you give some uh, models for how to talk, uh, like a, a process. Will you talk us through that? I will. I'd love to. So, um I'll start by saying that I think one of the things that we as adults, whether you know, you're a parent or a teacher or a youth leader, whatever relationship you have to a child, when they reach this phase of adolescence, sometimes what we do is we think, oh my goodness, the world is getting so big and scary for this kid. All of a sudden, they're going to be exposed to parties and they're going to be exposed to strangers and online content and you know thoughts and feelings that are new that are perhaps not regulated yet. And so we think I need to um, impart my wisdom and my values and my boundaries, like all of this stuff to them instead of letting them figure it out. So conversationally, what that sounds like a lot of time is, hey, let me tell you what, what, the, what the current state of affairs is on this, whatever the topic is. And it starts for adults with this sense of dread sometimes, like I know this kid is gonna give me about 10 seconds before they pick up their phone or their eyes glaze over or they disconnect. So I'm going to cram the most important thing in first and we'll see how far we get down this road. The model that I suggest that we switch to for talking to young people is called the brief model. And it's a five-step process and each letter is an acronym. It stands for a step. So um, B is begin peacefully. And that can sound like literally taking a deep breath before you talk, not rushing in. Um, that can also be scheduling a time to talk. Kids this age often feel ambushed. 
when you have given a, a you know, some thought to a conversation and, and they're just like, whoa, I didn't know we were going to talk about sex right now. I'm horrified. So um, saying like, hey, I want to touch base with you on this topic. Could we talk tonight or would you rather talk in the morning? You pick. So letting them have some sort of authority over when, when you sit down is good. So that's begin peacefully. R is relate to your kid. So that can just really the intention here is you want to show them that you're on their team. You're not initiating this conversation because you're suspicious. You want to find out what they're doing wrong. You want to find out if they've done anything in this area. You're not curious what their friends are doing. You really just want to say, hey, I'm on your team. You're not in trouble. I don't think anything's wrong here. I don't think anything weird is happening. I just want to talk. You're so, also not oversharing yes, or, or competing, mm. you know. It's really that's important that you don't make yourself the center of the story here. That's right. Yeah. So those are the first two steps. I is interview for data. So this is when you get to ask some questions. And I think the key to this step is keeping the questions really global in nature about what your kid understands about this topic. Um, again, as your child is individuating and they're sort of pulling back, they're going to feel a little suspicious. Like, why are you asking me this? Am I in trouble? Have I done something wrong? Do you think I'm a bad person? Do you think it's weird that I you know, might be thinking this way? So instead of asking them really um, personal questions about them or their friends, this is where you don't want to say like, hey, you're not thinking about vaping, are you? None of, I hope none of your friends are vaping. If any of your friends are vaping, you need to tell me which ones. It's not like that. The questions need to be generic, global. So like, what do you know about how vape works in your body? I'm curious about that. What are you being taught at school? What's your understanding of this? Um, e is echo what you hear. And that sounds like sort of playing the part of a therapist. So like, oh, it sounds to me like you're feeling this way about it. Is that right? Am I getting this right? And that's important because you want to have clarity and also because there are some pretty major vocab differences generationally. And so you just want to make sure that when you're talking about dating, you're, you're talking about the same thing. You're probably not. So clarify some of that. And then F is the last step and that's feedback. And that's when you get to say, you know, thanks for talking to me about this. I loved hearing what you think about it, what you know about it. I'm just going to share a couple things that are on my mind about it now that we've talked. And so you can set boundaries, you can give suggestions, you can set expectations, whatever you need to do, provide education, but you don't want to start there. You want to arrive there once you've sort of earned that together. Now, I'm going to own, I want to own that mm -hmm. uh, I come from a family of high emotion and uh, my wife is descended from the Hill, from the Hatfields and the McCoys, and that blood is in our family. And sometimes things get heated, and they get heated quick. How do I downshift into beginning peacefully when we're already um, the the voices are already elevating? What, what's a, what's so a good a way? Question. What's a good way to downshift into this? I love that question. Um, I'm, I happen to be watching Yellowstone right now. I'm binging it. So your Hatfield and McCoy's thing has got me thinking like, which rancher is the most chill? Like, yeah. <laughs> who would that be that you could channel? Because I often do tell parents like, have a character in mind mm -hmm. and, and channel that very cool hand Luke. You know, like you want to be very calm about this. What you have on your side is time. When our kids are little, we, so much of our parenting, like when they're toddlers is in the moment. Like, do not put that in your mouth. You know, do not run into the street and you need to be loud and you need to be fast. Um, but you don't need to be that way with kids this age. You can take a beat. And in fact, you can, if things are escalating, you can say, you know what? 
um, I'm feeling a lot right now and I don't want to talk when I'm feeling this much because I, I want to get some control over that. So let's put a pin in this and let's come back to it tomorrow. We can all just take some space and some time and that's totally fine. Michelle, my son uh, would do that even as early as middle school. He's in college now, but he would say, um, mom, what's fueling this? Is there some fear underlying this? That, And I'm like, listen. And he's like, let's take it down a notch. Let's walk outside. And, let, and I'm like, oh, dear God, I know what you're doing. And <laughs> I am just way up here still. I'm, you know, my level is... And he would just, and the rest of my family avoids conflict. So they would leave the table and he would stay and talk me off the ledge, you know. My and son is a little so bit that way too. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I find it so fascinating how different kids early on have a very clear communication style. And my son did not like for emotions to run high. So he, he would always be a, a, a very calm and cool negotiator. Yes. Yes. And he would know like, this is not what this is really about. There's some fear here that's motivating this crisis of the moment. Um, but I, I do like that, that you should have a character in mind that's a cool character to come to the talk. Yes. Because you can... if, you're, if you're Cliff, if you are, you know, you're probably the cool one in the family. But, um, you know, if you're not the cool one, if you're the one that gets emotional, how can you play a role in that conversation? Mm. I like that. I like that. It's really good. It helps. It helps to really visualize who the person is and, and the way that they deliver their sentences. And uh, I, I would say in youth ministry, sometimes too, there are some young people that, that can hook you different types of people. And so that's a great way to remember that, to, to put yourself in that place when you're with a person that can, can, um, you know, put their hooks in you in a, in a way that's different. Yeah. Some people get a rise out of you a little bit. Mm -hmm. It hits a little different, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. I will, I will yep. say that another thing that works really well in that kind of situation is to assess whether, you know, as anybody who's a teacher um, can relate to this, everyone has a different learning style. And so if you're always delivering your message in the same way, you're hitting a certain group of kids every time and you're missing a certain group of kids every time. Um, mm -hmm. I have two children they communicate in very different ways. And I discovered that with my younger child, if I switched from talking to text for really sort of um, highly emotional mm -hmm. um, situations, mm -hmm. it worked so much better. This was a kid who just needed time to think. He couldn't respond quickly. You know, he, he wanted to sort of process things and he liked the um, sort of sedate nature of a text. <laughs> like it's not highly emotional. And so that worked beautifully for us. So I think it's really important to figure out how you're going to differentiate the way you reach different kids um, and the way that they hear you and the way that they learn from you. Michelle, I want to ask you a question. You did 14 talks by age 14, and this came out right before the pandemic. And I wonder if you would have added something, a 15th talk after this last couple of years. Would there have been a different talk or have you seen anything with young people that they need or parents need differently after these last couple of years? Well, parents for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, really, I think that, that um, the parents have it in incredibly and unbearably hard right now. 
um, having to juggle everything. And it's not that I don't have empathy for kids. I 100% do. I think it's hard for them too. Of course, it's harder for kids who are coming from situations where they're experiencing trauma or they have, you know, um, nutritional shortages. Their privileges and as yeah, they're not getting their basic needs met as much. So a high concern about that. Um, but generally speaking, I am maybe more optimistic than most people about how the pandemic is going to have long-term effects on the general population of young adolescents. I think that um, we're still, you know, kids are still kids, teens are still teens. And so they have the same needs and wants. And we've just had to shift how we're going to meet those because they're not meeting them in the malls and the hallways and the roller rinks of our youth. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to happen online more often. It's going to have to happen outdoors more often, you know, back to nature sort of stuff. So um, to answer your question, I don't know that I would have added another conversation. I think conversation is key in a crisis and we are definitely in one. So um, if anything, maybe a little bit more on stress management. I do have mm-hmm. that in the book sort of coping skills and taking care of yourself. But I would write something very specific for parents about that because I think they've, they've gotten hit so hard. Is, do you have any mental health practices that you think would be helpful for our young people today? I am a big fan of, that. I love that question, of having coping skills that you rely on throughout the day. So a big one for me, pre-pandemic, I did not move very much. I'm a very sedentary person. I love my couch. Binge watching TV is my favorite hobby. Love um, that. Yes. <laughs> and you know, people be like, you want to go for a walk? And I'm like, nah, not really. I'm really happy just to sit still. I like being still. So I um, did, started yoga over the uh, pandemic, just doing it in my garage. And it has been a balm for me, for someone who doesn't like to move. Mm. And some of the things are like a six minute practice. I don't think you have to be go hard all the time. I think it's just good to sort of get grounded in your body in some way whatever that is. So I like that. I do a lot of breathing techniques, big fan of, you know, the box breathing and all the stuff that everybody will tell you to do counting and breathing, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think I I say this to kids all the time, know yourself, whatever your thing is, if you're someone who needs to go to bed early, then please go to bed early. If you're someone who needs to talk to other people, then you've got to figure out how you can get that need met, but don't listen to what some expert is telling you is going to be good for your health know yourself and know what makes you feel good and do that thing. (laughs) That's what I think we should be doing more of. Yeah. And in your book, you do at the end of every chapter, a crash course. And at the end of your chapter on uh, taking care of yourself, uh, you do a crash course and you say, I think it was like, you talked about vaping and other things that self-harm and one of your crash course, you said, try this first. And I thought that was really helpful. Like, um, you know, you could do some self-harm, but try this first. So the and, try this, yeah, that's for anxiety specifically. Yeah. 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 And, but I think when you're looking at some coping skills, there are some things you could try first. And, and I think anxiety, sometimes you get to the place where you don't know what to try. And so that's a great thing for us to remember. Like you could try this first. I love the know yourself, but I also love the try this first. I'm glad that resonates. I think you're right. It's hard when you, when you're facing a problem, often, you know, you're anxious about something and you're thinking, oh, things aren't going to go the way I want them to go. I'm so nervous about this, or I don't know why I feel this way. I'm just spinning and I don't like Mm -hmm. the way it feels and I'm upset. 
um, that bars you from thinking about what could make you feel better. So the purpose of the try this first exercise is to think about those things when you're not having a moment, when you feel good and write them down and to know that I have on my phone or I have hanging on my wall or wherever it is, a list of 10 things that I can do by myself that take less than 20 minutes that often make me feel good. Maybe that's YouTube puppy videos. Maybe that's yoga. Maybe that's breathing. Maybe that's, you know, uh, talking to my cousin. That's the know yourself. You got to know what that list is. Mm -hmm. And then you, you try it before you um, start spinning out too fast. Mm -hmm. Because Cliff, I, I think Cliff and I both have been with young people when we'll say, you know, have you tried this? Have you, you know, and for everything we've said, you know, it's like, no, I can't do that. No, no. Mm. But, you know, to say, make a list. What are some things? Let's sit down for a minute and let's think of some things. Yeah. Um, and do that when you feel good. So that when yeah, you're sitting out, that's you, right. you just yeah. say, you, you make it a thing. You don't even say like, could mm-hmm. you do this? You just say, go, go do something from that list. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick right. one thing from that list and go do it. And in 20 minutes, then we're going to sit down and talk. Right. But it just puts like a wedge in that wheel that keeps mm-hmm. trying to, to loop. Right. What well, and then when, you're, when you talk to them in crisis, you can say, I know you have, a li- you have some coping skills. You have some things. I know you have some things to lean on because we've written that list. Right. One of the things that occurs to me as I think about this, if, if this is not the normal MO for a parent-child conversation and way of doing things, that taking this on will, will be a challenge and it will be met with resistance and, and may not feel natural for a while. What are some encouraging words or some things to take away to, like, in the same way that we would encourage somebody for starting a brand new exercise you know, regimen to make certain that they don't just say, well, this obviously just doesn't work in this house and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And it, you're going to feel that way at first. So I think it's important to be aware of that going into it. it. This is a new way of talking. You don't learn a new language overnight. So do not beat yourself up if you're like, my kid's still storming off or I'm still getting highly emotional when I'm trying to address these things. Um, what I say to parents is, this is a practice. This isn't about being perfect. This is about practicing it enough until it becomes natural for you. So in the brief model, if you only get through B, awesome. <laughs> and then maybe you add R and then maybe, you know, a week later, you're, you're like, I got to, I, I got to ask a couple questions this time. That was cool. Your, your child is really assessing how trustworthy you are in terms of communication at this age. So, um, they're going to be like, okay, B's enough. I'm moving on. And then R and then I, and then over time, they're going to have enough data that they've acquired that talking to you is non-judgmental and it's not highly emotional and it's safe and no one gets weird and freaks out. And so let them collect that data over a period of time and don't feel like I failed. I only got to be think, oh, I got another data point on their graph. That's really helpful. They're starting to accumulate that for me. And that's good. That's progress. Well, what a, communications don't end. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a, a conversation and then you're done with that conversation. You well, well y- yes and no. The thing is that something that does occur to me, I'm reminded of something that a, 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 one of my professors said to me long ago about preaching, which is know when it's time to land the plane. You know, right. know when it's time to wrap this up, to move on in such a way that if people will want to revisit it again. So how how do we close this time with children uh, and young adults effectively in such a way that it does to use the old show showbiz term leave them wanting more 
Yes, that is so good that you asked that. I write about that in the book because, um, you know, it's an acronym, BRIEF, B-R-I-E-F, but I also really wanted it to spell BRIEF because I want you to get in and out of these conversations so that just what you said, so that your kid doesn't think, I'd like to ask my parent or my, you know, youth leader or whoever it is, their advice on this, but I don't want to sit for a 45 minute lecture. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you need to show them that you can get in and out quickly. And by the, you know, you'd go through like, Hey, how's it going? Let's touch base. Great. I'm on your side. I'm not suspicious. going to ask you two or three questions. So what I'm hearing is, and here's my feedback. You can do that fast. You can do that in two minutes. And then you can say, Um, After you give the feedback, listen, that's just something to think about. You don't even have to have a reaction right now. Are you hungry? Should we go get a snack? Do you want to watch TV? What are your plans after this? What are you doing? You need to be really good at diverting to the next thing and say, I've dumped this in your lap. Take some time with it. I hope you'll check back in. I got to go do something else right now. (laughs) So Michelle, we um, our podcast is Big Ideas in Youth Ministry. And so we want to know what are some ways that our constituents can use this resource, your book, in churches? Um, and I know you have done many conversations in churches. Um, I know that I would use this with my parent, parenting group, Parents of Adolescents Circle. Um, what are some ways that we could use this? Um, So I think the best resource for uh, parents and youth leaders and churches is the book discussion guide. And I hear all the time from schools and from uh, community organizations who say, you know, we are reading the book together and we're processing it in chunks. I think um, it allows for connection. And one of, I'm writing my next book now, I'm really happy to say. The 10 failures that can make your child a success. That's Mm. right. I'm into lists, if you can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love a list, right? (laughs) But but the sort of premise of that is we need to be talking to each other as parents. It's so hard when you're raising a young person. um, If you feel like something has gone wrong in your child's life or is they're struggling with it, people shut shut down. They stop talking. And so I want you to talk to your kids, but I also want you to talk to other parents and have good conversations in community with other people. Because I really do think as cliche as as it is, it takes a village. Um, So doing something like this, like a book discussion guide where you get together, you process the chapters, you talk about it, it opens up conversation, family to family and parent to parent. I think that that is really powerful. So I think that's probably my best tip for how people can use it in a group setting. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Michelle, we want to thank you for sharing your book, 14 Talks by Age 14, which we can see is truly an essential communications guide for helping your child through the emotional, uh, physical, social changes uh, and challenges ahead and ultimately toward uh, being success in moving through being a teenager, that which, which just surviving it is a success these days. Thank you so much. I love talking to both of you and um, I'm pleased that you read the book. Thank you. And you can, um, you have a website, Michelle, um, icard.com. Yes, that is my website. And I will also say I've got two other resources for parents, uh, on Facebook, less stressed middle school parents is my parenting group and lots of people there to bounce ideas off of myself included. I'll weigh in on stuff. And then Instagram, I'm doing a lot of stuff. It's just my name, Michelle Eichard, but tons of free parenting tips there. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
Cliff, uh, yes. before we close up, tell us your TikTok uh, word of today. Oh, the word of the day. Oh, you know, I haven't, I haven't recorded. I have, okay. I have a couple in my drafts. So do you want me to do, I guess I could do one on this. So hmm. you can, you can I'll do brief. I'll do brief. I'll, beans, but... I'll make brief. I'll make brief the uh, word of the day when I record it today. So I'll, I'll make a note to do that. I'll make it... Cliff has a, um, is very active on TikTok and is fun to watch. So uh, uh, it's been fun to see him over the last couple months grow his following and share some great resources for young people on there. And so, so and he's cool. uh, Rev and Geek on, on TikTok, right? Yes, R-E-V-N-G-E-E-K. Everything from thoughtful discussion to how would a wrestler come into worship. So it's all kinds of fun <laughs> stuff like that. And you could also find... Uh, other resources on the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group. Uh, it's good to be together again. This has been the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast. Join us in the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group to be part of the ongoing conversation. <laughs>